0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 332.
1: thinks they have a target market and it comes across as anyone everyone someone which equates to no one right so like like if everyone's your target then no one's your target
0: hi there thanks for being here i'm jeff brown and i believe that intentional and consistent reading is key to success in business and in life and that's why i created the read to lead podcast it's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth each week, you and I get to chat with an author of typically a brand new book and get their unique insights on things like personal and professional growth, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. So many of those topics are connected to what's getting our focus today, and that is networking. And that's because you and I are about to be joined by the person who I think has written the definitive book on networking. His name is Michael Goldberg, and he's the author of Knockout Networking for Financial Advisors and Other Sales Producers. More prospects, more referrals, more business. Now, I'm not involved in any of those areas, nor do I possess any boxing skills whatsoever. If that's you as well, never fear. This book is going to teach you anything and everything you ever wanted to know about networking and networking well. Some of the questions I plan on asking Michael include why he believes networking is key to a successful career, some of the rules of networking that you need to master, tips for starting conversations, asking good questions, and just being a good listener, and lots more. I want to take a quick moment to give special thanks to Michelle over at Consulting Surveyors who had me speak to her group last week via Zoom. We were COVID-friendly, had lots of fun. I always enjoy being able to share what I've learned over the years about leadership, personal and professional success, productivity, and lots more. If I can help you and your group, reach out to me directly, Jeff, at com. Hope to hear from you soon. Michael Goldberg is a networking expert specializing in helping financial advisors, brokers, agents, reps, product wholesalers, and other sales producers grow their business. And his clients include a a vast array of companies, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, Griffin Capital, State Farm Insurance, and many others. Uh, He's also a two-time TEDx speaker, a certified speaking professional, and an award-winning adjunct professor at Rutgers University. He is here to help us level up in the area of professional networking. I know I need that help, and I'll that you do too. His new book is called not Out Networking for Financial Advisors and Other Sales Producers. More prospects, more referrals, more business. I, I love this book. I've gotten so much out of it. Michael, I'm excited to have you here for the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you.
1: I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, prompted uh, some laughter for me as I as I read the book, I think it was the first time uh, you were asked to speak on networking. You weren't doing what you're doing now just yet. <laughs> And your response included in part, how am I going to talk for an hour about, about networking? And obviously, you've, you've come full circle on that. Why do you believe so strongly that networking is, is key to a successful career?
1: Well, networking, if it's done properly and most often it's not, it's really about going to the right places, saying the right things and meeting the right people. And that's offline or online. Right. It's still where to go, what to say with whom. And I believe that you can solve almost all of life's problems by understanding exactly what the problem is. Like, here's the issue. And then if you, you have some ideas on places to go. Uh, people that you would ultimately meet or be introduced to and the things that you would say around that problem that you'll solve it. Right. So it's, so whether that problem is I'm looking for more business, whether that problem is I'm looking for a job, whether that problem is I'm looking to learn a little bit more about the hedge fund industry. I'm looking to learn a little bit more about real estate or if it's social, I just moved to a new area. I'm in New York city. Now I am so overwhelmed. I want to meet more people that box or more people you know, that, uh, I don't know, ride the subway, whatever it is, where do I need to go? What do I need to say with whom do I need to say it? And I know I'm oversimplifying it, but it really just comes down to that. It's just a question of those that – that are willing to be open to taking a chance uh, you know, about, am I at the right place? Am I saying the right things? And ultimately, who do I want to meet? And how do I find that out? Mm.
0: Well, when it comes to places to go, obviously, we live in a much different world today than we lived in you know, just five, six months ago. How does networking look in this sort of virtual world we find ourselves in? How, how has it changed?
1: I, I got to be honest on. So, so March 12th to me was like the, the line in the sand, and, you know, like the equator, because March 12th is really when the world kind of fell apart and this whole pandemic thing. And my calendar went away. Like I had a pretty good speaking calendar for 2020 and I panicked because my whole business is traveling to places, speaking at events, you know, being in touch with you know, my market, which is financial advisors and brokers, and they weren't running meetings anymore. And I was, I don't want to say in a panic, but I was in a, okay, where do I need to go? What do I need to say? With whom do I need to say a place? And March 13th, it snapped. It's, you know, we're still going to need to network, even if we are in our basements or we're quarantined or whatever it is, because life still has to go on. So if we're still focused on building our business, and if you're an advisor, broker, any type of sales producer, you will be, and you are, I just thought, so now people need to be better equipped to network virtually. So it's really the same thing. We're just doing it through a different portal called Skype, called Zoom, called WebEx, called whatever it is. And now the rules have changed because we're able to set more meetings up. They just tend to be shorter meetings. I, I think our, our, our focus has to be a little bit more pinpointed. So I think in terms of that, not just using the technology, but leveraging the fact that we can still do business, collaborate, set meetings virtually is like a big deal.
0: In your experience, what are some of the more common reasons that that many people just don't network? Period.
1: In most cases, they don't know how. Mm. In most cases, they think networking is about going to a meeting, again, online or off, and basically just pitching their wares. You know, their wares. You need life insurance? You mean to manage your money? Whoa, you know. So, so that doesn't ever feel good. So now it's a question of I know I need to network, but I don't really know how. I don't want to put myself in a place of being rejected or maybe embarrassed or made to feel silly or what have you. So I just won't do it or I'll do it when I need to, or I'll do it just in a, in a smattering. Uh, So, but then again, if you're in job search, you know, and you are in between careers and I do volunteer time to help job searchers because most don't know a lot of the stuff, you know, that I speak about, that I teach, that I write about, especially if they're in a role that didn't necessarily warrant that, you know, if you were writing programs or, you know, if you were writing you know, any type of copy. If you were behind the scenes, maybe an architect that didn't have to bring in business, this whole networking thing was really just a word. It was just this concept that seemed so far away. So now if you're upsize, downsize, right size, left size, supersize, and you don't have a job and now, uh oh, I need to be a networker. It's like, I don't even know where to start. And it's, it's daunting if you've never done this before. I just see the reaction, hear the reaction from job searchers. I come in droves to hear talks that I do for free, by the way. I volunteer to help job searchers. And they are terrified because they know they need to get out there. It's not me telling them you got to get out there. They know. They just don't know how because they think it's about, you know, hat in hand, you're know, are you hiring here's my resume give me a job give me a job what they don't get which the advisors and the producers are more apt to get is that you've got to make a connection first you've got to know how to make and I use the you know pun boxing I do it metaphorically you know boxing you know is about the connection if you make a connection you know you're more likely to win the round or win the fight it's the same thing in networking except your connection looks like this and for those that don't see I'm offering a hand as in shaking a hand or touching a glove and job searchers don't realize that and the connection has to go both ways. It's not what can you do to help me, but it's really this this whole, uh, you know, I guess, connotation or, or dynamic, really, of how do we help one another?
0: Part of the reason I think I've had sort of a bad taste in my mouth when it comes to networking is because I didn't have the right mindset to start with.
1: You know, our actions are prompted by our mindset. You know, our attitude prompts our behavior. So if you don't have a networking mindset or you're not sure even what that means, it's hard behave in a certain way. So I like to look at a networking mindset as having a we focus, you know, a networking mindset is always looking to meet people, connect, learn and potentially help them and ultimately get to a place of how can we help one another. A lot of that is a networking mindset. You know, I kind of run the speaking training coaching company, Knockout Networking. but I also lead a networking group that's about to become a national franchise. And part of our culture, like we vet people, and in order to qualify and be part of this group, you have to come from what we call a place of we, or come from a place of give. That's a networking mindset. You've got to be a giver first. If you're a taker, if you're just looking to get business, you're looking to get ideas, but you're not looking to contribute, you're not going to be a fit. And that resonates even outside of our group when you're in the networking world. That's a networking mindset. And I'm able to see that really in the first round when I need somebody. I just know.
0: Something else that was helpful for me when I read the book is this list of of the rules of networking that you you sort of unpack. And the (laughs) first four, I believe you give an entire chapter to. Um, And I'm wondering if we can dive into those four in particular, starting with the, the cost of selling at a networking event. Can you expound on that a bit?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, imagine being in, a, in like a boxing match. And I guess this happened a while ago with uh, uh, with McGregor and, and um, Floyd Mayweather. You know, she so had the boxer versus the mixed martial artist. So they both had a box. Right. But can you imagine if Mayweather came out of the ring thinking boxing, boxing mindset and McGregor came out of the same ring bell rung and he starts throwing kicks? That's the way I look at a networking event when you have somebody that's looking to sell, but that's not what the, the fight is about. That's not the stage that's being set. That's not the game that we're playing. We're supposed to box, right? But that's kind of what it is. So that sales meeting, selling, networking meeting, networking. But it gets back to we're desperate to sell something or we just simply don't know how to network. So we think that everybody that we meet at a networking event is a prospect, and here's the truth. They're not. The people that you meet are, they're there to build their business, right? That's why they're there. Or they're looking to land a job themselves. So we're all there for selfish motives. So it's a question of being able to make the connection, touch gloves, compare notes, and figure out how you can help one another. But none of that can happen if, if I'm looking at you as a prospect, you know, if we meet at a, at a cocktail party, I'm looking to sell you life insurance like you don't know me from anybody. You might think I'm Floyd Mayweather. I don't know. It's, it doesn't matter, you know, it's because like, you're going to just be put off. And the chance for connection? nil. nothing great happens until this first connection. And that's in the ring or out. That's online or off. It's just the
0: way it is. Something I think still so many professionals struggle with, so many of the business owners that, that, that I consult continue to struggle with this idea of laser-like focus and feeling as if I'm too focused in my business as to who I reach then I'm going to be leaving people out or excluding people. Share a bit about your process related to focusing on your target market and the benefits that, that come with it.
1: I'm a big believer in having a target market. So my particular marketplace is financial services, the insurance and financial services industry, so much so that I actually have a book about it. That's, you know, even though it could apply to most sales positions, but that's my market where I do, you know, 95% of my work, but even as an advisor a broker or other type of sales producer, it's so important to be able to not, and everybody thinks they have a target market, you know, and it comes across as anyone, everyone, someone, Which equates to no one, right? So, like, if everyone's your target, then no one's your target. And most common response I get from uh, from insurance producers or brokers or financial advisors. Oh, I have a target market. It's small business owners. All right. Well, that's a start. That's a start. But what type of small business owner, what industry profession, market segment, niche, dynamic demographic, geography, are they focused on based in, do they replicate? Because until you know that, um, then once you've got that down, then you'll know where you need to go, what you need to say with whom you need to say it. So as an example, my niche market's insurance financial services. So from a marketing standpoint, I pretty much know the places that I need to go online or off, the things that I need to say and the people that I need to meet in order to continue to grow my own business. But to me, you end up with a, a networking fight plan, as I call it. Like you've got this fight plan or a daily fight plan, like a boxer might have, that you can actually you know work that plan, plan your work, work your plan every single day. But if you don't know with whom your market is, it's hard to do that. And if other people don't know who your market is, you're not as referable as perhaps you ought to be. And that's the whole thing. I get put in touch with people because I know you work with financial advisors. If I didn't make that clear, I probably wouldn't get those types of introductions and those types of opportunities. And here's the bottom line. This is the work I want to be doing. Like, this is my focus. It's not like an accident. It's on purpose with purpose. And that's the thing about networking. It's got to be very intentional on purpose, with purpose, like an overhand right.
0: Well, another uh, section I found particularly helpful and and useful as a student of networking was the chapter where you share about, uh, I think you pronounce it your peace statement, P-E-E-C, that you've developed for perfecting what I guess might otherwise be referred to in some circles as as your elevator speech. What are the parts of this framework that, that we need to be aware of?
1: Right. That is the number one reason firms bring me in is they've heard about this whole peace statement thing. And it's so pragmatic and so step by step that it resonates. And, you know, when you're any type of sales producer, when somebody asks you what you do, you have this habit of, you know, giving them everything, you know, here's all 12 rounds. And you're all over the place. And the person that you're speaking with feels like they're being spoken at. And meanwhile, they're in like snoozeville. And the whole thing is, is that that's not a connection, right? That is boring somebody to tears. So the peace statement, which I developed about 20 years ago, and the reason I developed it, Jeff, is because I used to do that. I used to, here it is, this is how awesome I am. And people would just run away from me. So it wasn't like a connection. It was a disconnection. I was just like repelling people away from me, like a virus, you know, and that's, so I realized, okay, this, this is not working. But if I could share three or four ideas that resonate with them. And I get those same or similar three or four ideas from them when we're talking about something. And there's a, there's a possibility of loading up that connection. So I thought, what are the four main things that I would want to learn from people that I'm meeting and that I would ultimately want to offer on behalf of what I'm doing? So it became peace, P-E-E-C, which is if we can collaborate about our professions, what we do and perhaps for whom, our areas of expertise, the two or three areas that we are very smart in and that ultimately is going to lend ourselves to being a resource to others. Uh, the environments that we work in, you mentioned target market before, Jeff. So the, the one or two niche markets being super uber specific about it. And then the call to action, the T-E-E-C, call to action, which is really the ask. That's not asking that person that you just met for something. It's letting them know, what a good situation might be for you. So, if I met you for the first time and we're going back and forth, Jeff, I would say ultimately when I'm networking, I'm always looking to meet or be introduced to ba 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 from firms like ba ba ba. Any insight you have, you know, I, I would love your perspective. So it's a light ask that really gives somebody a visual as to really the type of business that you're ultimately looking for, not necessarily from them, but just in general. But imagine how powerful it would be is if you connected with somebody at a networking event, again, online or off or some sort of meeting, and you're exchanging your respective profession, expertise. The environments that you're working in or targeting and your light ask in the form of a call to action. Now you're in this place of we that I mentioned before, where the dialogue turns into let's explore ways that we might help one another. And that's networking, baby. And that's just light sparring in the ring. Right. And that's really what it's about.
0: You know, and I like too the way the framework is broken down. You can naturally insert each section as it fits the conversation, you don't have to regurgitate all four of them all at once, necessarily.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it could be I need uh, something really cool to say because I've got like a one minute slice of time at some meeting. Like, what's your elevator speed? So the piece can be that. But you're right. It could also be your, uh, your virtual four bullet points when you're talking to people and somebody asks you about you. You wouldn't necessarily give them all four PEEC, Professional Expertise and call to Action. But you might just start off with profession. You know, I might say something like I'm a speaker, trainer, coach, uh, wrote a book, uh, box, knockout, networking, and I focus on helping sales producers grow their business. How about yourself? So that's just the P, the profession part of it. So it becomes like a PowerPoint slide that you have top of mind that helps you stay on track as appropriate. And it doesn't have to be in any order, but you're drawing from something that you know is very focused. It always comes back to being specific and being focused. But it's also the fun stuff that's sort of smattered throughout all that. Because I'll talk boxing. I'll talk about your favorite thing, too. You know, so it's being conversational and being fun. But at the end of it, you want to get an understanding. At least I do. I want to get an understanding of somebody's profession, areas of expertise, the environments that they work most and best in. And finally, really what their ask is.
0: I think one concern that many people have when it comes to networking is toward those inevitable, awkward moments that arise. Any specific examples of how you coach others to handle (laughs) those type of moments?
1: It often depends. And we always have stories like awkward moments. There's a lot of them now that we're um, that we're virtual about. You know, I spoke for two minutes and I had my mute down the whole time and I didn't know. And like I've got a half a dozen stories of people that have shared stuff that I've done myself. One of the funniest stories I remember being at a networking meeting and it was four of us. We were at a conference and it was a bunch of financial advisors. So I'm here talking to three three guys. You know, we're all wearing suits, right? So it's the four of us wearing suits, you know, probably with a cocktail in hand. And I think the three of them found it awkward speaking to one another and speaking with me because they're all advisors. So I think on some level, they almost felt like they were competing with one another. So I felt like I had to carry this conversation because it was a lot of weird in the party of four. So I just let me be the heavy and kind of get this on and get everybody talking and i can you know i'll make this work so as as one of the guys was speaking this little bubble like this little saliva bubble came out of his mouth and the four of us just stopped and we looked at this little bubble just float in between us and we were like watching it like we were watching something on tv until it finally floated across and disappeared in one of the other guys lapel like it's like bloop And nobody knew what to do with that. And I just started laughing. I said, did you see that? That's historical. And it broke the ice. And all of a sudden, everybody just kind of relax and we just started laughing over goofy stuff and then we got into pete statement stuff and then it became real Mm. so sometimes an awkward moment is really just laughing and just saying you know did you just see that that's ridiculous or did i just say something totally stupid but when it's serious you know like an awkward moment where you say something and you put your foot in your mouth that's when you and it happens you know that's when you say you know I think I misspoke there, or I might've crossed the line. I am so sorry that I did that. And you just apologize, you know, and cause we've all done it, right? So that's owning it. And that's hopefully making an awkward moment, perhaps less awkward, or I love a phrase, you know, that was, I probably shouldn't have, not that I do this all the time, but I probably shouldn't have said this. There's no easy way, you know, to make this go away. I just want to apologize. I probably shouldn't have said it. Had I known of, but, but, but. but I think most often if you own it, then you're probably okay. But the, the thing is, is that here, here are some ways to maybe have less awkward moments is don't get into awkward topics. You know, so don't talk about people's money. That could be awkward, right? I know you're financially right? So don't talk about people's money. That's not why they're in this meeting. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about people's nationality. Don't talk about the political environment until it's friendly fire and then then it's less awkward because at least you know one another. Not that you want to just keep it all business, but the personal stuff don't make it too personal.
0: Great advice. In the time we have left, Michael, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you not directly related to the book. But before I do that, I want to give you a chance to share anything else about the book you want to make sure we, we know or walk away with.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, I love the reaction that I'm getting from the book because uh, not just because it's my book, but because there are ideas that you can apply immediately. This is how you throw a left hook. Like once you learn that you can apply that immediately. And that's that's with all these ideas. So if you're a job searcher with this book, if you just do like these three things that you can apply immediately, you're going to get an almost immediate response, an immediate reaction. And if it's positive, you're going to say, I'm going to do more of this. If it doesn't feel good or it's not positive, you're going to make an adjustment. So it's very oriented to application to, to skill. So if you're a job searcher, you're going to get hopefully a positive reaction. You'll get some confidence. You'll build on that. The same thing if you're an advisor and a broker. So that's what I keep hearing from firms that are providing the book like for all of their advisors and their brokers. They seem to be getting it and they're focusing on two or three areas that they're implementing immediately. There is, of course, theory. There's got to be some theory but I wrote it in a way as if I was coaching a sales producer, coaching an advisor, broker, or somebody like I was whispering in their ear, like they are in the corner, you know, and I kind of they're, they're getting the sponge, you know, and I'm kind of whispering in, in their ear of, listen, this next round, don't drop the left. These are the three things you got to do. Focus on your target market. Be very, very specific about the questions that you're asking and really listen and learn with the intention of following up. So the book is very much like that. It doesn't inundate the whole boxing thing, but it does really amplify the whole um, execution, put this into practice thing.
0: For me, and I read a lot of books, it's it's the best networking book I have read to date. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, uh, let me ask you, as a two-time TEDx speaker, what advice you might give to others looking to maybe reach that level to, to deliver a talk that is memorable, that's impactful, that sort of thing?
1: Well, I would say uh, it's very similar to the networking advice is make sure that whatever talk you're doing, that you have the audience in mind when you're developing that talk and delivering that talk. But I know TEDx is more of a wider, broader audience. So the way I did it was not geared towards uh, advisors per se. It was really geared towards people that would value connections, whether socially or a career or building a business or what have you. So it was really in mind, So I'd say whatever talk that you were looking to do, if it was going to be on like a TEDx stage or whatever stage is to have your end user or your audience in mind, because if you always have your audience in mind when you're delivering a talk, it's almost always going to be a great talk because it's never about you, the speaker. It's always about the audience, the listener, and hoping that they're going to get something out of it. And then the other thing is, is that what are the two or three things that you want that targeted audience, whomever that is, to get out of your talk? Like, what are the three things? And if you understand that going in and you start that with your best stuff, like when I start a fight, I always – I don't like – ease into it. I come up with my best stuff because I want to set that precedent round one. And my opponent's not expecting that. It's the same thing when I speak. I come out with my best stuff. I want my audience to say, wow, Like nailed right then and there. I'm going to probably get the two or three things that are most important to me. Like I can see I'm going to get that. Like I'm getting that now. And so I would say load up that TEDx talk like that. And the thing about a TED talk, and I had to really prepare for those I did a couple of them is because they're really short. Like I'm a speaker, so I can speak. I mean, obviously I can speak all day. I'm I'm doing, you know, these talks that could be two, three hours, what have you. So 18 minutes is not a lot of time, especially when you're in your groove. And then the last part of it that I'll add is less relevant for a TED Talk, but I did do it anyway, is to try to be interactive. Like most TED Talks aren't interactive. They're usually one way, almost monologue-ish. And I didn't want mine to be that. So not that it was always a back and forth sparring match, but I did want some interaction from the audience. And I think that that lent itself to being that much more of an impactful talk.
0: In the whole boxing scenario, one of the reasons you come out uh, strong and hot is because more and more these days, the boxer you're sparring against is half your age, though, right?
1: (laughs) What are you saying, Jeff? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, yes. (laughs) You got to do what you can do, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, Michael, what's what's a book or two you've encountered that has left a lasting impression on you? I'd love to get some book recommendations from you.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. You know, there's there's two that uh, I've given some thought to and they are ones that I've read over and over again. Uh, The first is this is my favorite sales book. It's the best sales book I have ever read. It is called How I Raise Myself from Failure to Success in Selling. And it's a horrible title because it's lengthy, uh, but it's by Frank Betcha. It's spelled B-E-T-T-G-E-R, but he pronounces it betcha, as in you betcha. It was written in, I think, the 1930s, so it's old school. But what I like about it, and it applies to the insurance and financial services industry, but, um, but it can apply to any sales profession, really. I love that it, there's no technology in it. There's nothing about texting, tweeting, tweeting, LinkedIn. It wasn't around. So what it does force is to think about at the end of the day it's about a connection. And it's a lot of best practices about how to make personal connections in a time where it was, it's like, that was the only way of doing it. Like you had to make a personal connection. And you know, these ideas, even though we have LinkedIn and all these other great tools are timeless. And I think it's a great read for sales producers to be reminded about how important that personal connection is. This is one that I reread over and over again, because it reminds me of some very basic, but yet very important concepts. And then the other book, you would ask for a couple, another one of my favorites that I read from time to time is Getting Things Done by David Allen. And getting things done is really about um, being productive, being efficient and being very productive with your time. And I pride myself on efficiency. I'm extremely efficient and focused. So he was able to even give me ideas on how to be more so. And if you're disorganized and you have a problem focusing, it's kind of a heavy read, but it's all about applications. So you come up with these ideas and you just pick and choose the ones that fit for you. And again, if you implement two or three ideas, it's worth the read.
0: We, we touched on this earlier. I'd love to give you a chance to expound on what you're doing in in light of COVID, how your programs have changed, what you and your team are currently working on going forward that you're excited about and are able to, to share.
1: Well, my programs are now very much geared towards virtual networking. So I had mentioned March 12th, my calendar went away. March 13th, it came back. Like it just took me, I mean, honestly, I mean, not to sound kind of humpish, but, uh, you know, I, you know, it's kind of like, I'm pretty efficient and let's get to it. So March 13th, I realized that, you know, it's really about virtual networking now, and that's really what I have to focus on. So that's a knockout approaches to virtual networking. I'm running a lot of programs like that for agencies and firms in the financial services space. I've actually just run a a couple of those programs uh, in in the high tech space. And it's not like a one hour webinar. It's really done as a five week program so i run an hour and 15 minute online program you know with a handful of producers whatever the industry is typically financial services week 2 they have it off so they can you know, apply what we've spoken about week three, more content and also more reaction. So it's very interactive week four. They're off week five. They wrap up with me. So it's very focused on, on the networking concepts through, you know, virtual, like how to best leverage LinkedIn, how to best leverage zoom or Skype or whatever platform you're on and how to get meetings and what those should look like. And then how to basically monetize them and not just like you're selling people, but how, again, you're networking, collaborative we things. So it ends up being a a win-win if you've got systems in place to do that. I have to tell you that there are advisors and brokers right now that are stuck. There's other professionals that are stuck because they're afraid of the change, even though these resources have been here for a handful of years. it's nothing new. It's just how we're using them. And it's creating the daily habits to do that. So I'm talking to some advisors that just think that everything is going to go back to normal tomorrow, you know, and and it's just not. It's going to be some time. And this is going to be a long time. I'm not saying that the pandemic won't lift and that good things won't happen. They will. But for a while, I think business and I mean globally is going to be a hybrid of online and off. So it's really a question of, of, of how you're utilizing the technology and how you're making more and better connections as a result of it. That's most of the work that I'm focused on right now
0: networking, the key to success. And uh, fortunately for us, he's written what I consider to be the Bible on it. Knockout Networking for Financial Advisors and Other Sales Producers, More Prospects, More Referrals, More Business. Uh, I encourage you to pick it up. It's a fantastic book. Michael, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to, to be here with us today. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, I, as do I. So I appreciate the opportunity, Jeff. Great going a couple rounds with you.
0: Well, if Michael is someone you'd like to network with, and why not? You can find out more about him, dig deeper into our conversation, all at the show notes page I've created especially for this episode. You can find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 332 for episode 332. I again encourage you to reach out if you're in need of a speaker for your next virtual or in-person event. You can contact me directly, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. That's also the email address to write to if you've got comments, questions, suggestions, or feedback for the podcast. One more time, that's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. A quick programming note, in the coming weeks, we'll be talking with author Renee Vidor. She's written a book called Measuring Up, How to Win in a World of Comparison. Two weeks from today, we'll chat with Shasta Nelson, author of The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of Our Relationships Where We Spend Most of Our Time. That book is actually out today if you want to go ahead and pick it up. And next week, we check in with another Michael, this time Michael Brodywaite, author of Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts, How to Lead Like Your Life Depends on It. All that and more in the coming weeks right here on the Read to Lead podcast. That does it for this episode. I hope to see you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.